the owners in the league's desire to start the season December 22nd, yes, that's about money. They know that on that day, on Christmas Day, the 25th, they have the eyes of all sports fans. The NBA can generate over $500 million, and they want to do right by their partnerships with TNT, ESPN, and along with their investors. From the player's point of view, yes, if you're the Miami Heat, the Los Angeles Lakers, the Nuggets, the Celtics, you can make the argument that your teams need more rest because of a long playoff run. But those are the only teams that can make that argument. Everybody else that was in the bubble, they've been resting since August. And let's not forget about the eight teams that didn't play in the bubble at all. But let's go back a little bit further. Remember, before the NBA restarted in the bubble, they were off over four months. This is a power move from both sides. The owners don't want to lose any more revenue. They reported over $1.5 billion lost. And now you're talking about a full season coming back with fans still not in attendance. That's a possibility of another $4 billion lost. That goes back to the BRI, basketball-related income, which is 40% of the league's income, the earning power. That's come from fan attendance. And then there's the domino effect with merchandising and vendors and so on. From the player's point of view, of course, they know that the current salary cap is going to stay flat at about $109 million. They would like that to go up. I think both sides are trying to play a leverage move. And in the end, if they can't come together or compromise, the only person that's going to lose in this are going to be the NBA fans. In an interview with The Athletic, Executive Director Michelle Roberts said, given all that has been resolved between now and December 22nd, factoring that there will be financial risk by a later start date, it defies common sense that it can all be done in time. She went on to say, our players deserve the right to have some runway so that they can plan for a start that soon. The overwhelming response from the players that I've received to this proposal has been negative. She went on to say, the union and the players are analyzing all of the information and will not be rushed. We have requested and are receiving data from the parties involved and will work on a counter proposal as soon as possible. I have absolutely no reason to believe that we will have a decision by Friday. I cannot and will not use Friday as a drop dead date. I can understand where the player association is coming from. Again, I think a lot of this for them is about the salary cap and how they would like it to be higher. I think this is negotiation for that. Whereas with the owners, obviously you're an owner of a team and you've lost several hundred million dollars and you know ahead of time there will be no fan attendance, at least not to start the season. So now you're looking at losing more revenue. And a way to balance that out for you is an earlier start date, especially with Christmas Day being such a big day. 
with those partnerships I mentioned earlier. To me, they've got to find some middle ground. I don't think December 22nd is that soon a start date. I think that makes sense because they can get the league off and running. You go right into the Christmas holiday with all those multiple games. You have total viewership. The world is yours for that day if you're the NBA. And in the bigger picture, what if the owners rip up the CBA? Yes, we the fans will lose because there'll be a lockout. But once things resume, trust me on this, the players will lose that battle. When it comes to lockouts, especially with the NBA versus the Players Association, the league and ownership always wins. It's two weeks old. The LeBron versus Michael Jordan, the GOAT debate, that it's not, it's more than two weeks old. This really is that never ending debate. The last show, I made my case and I'm still sticking with it. I still have Kareem Abdul Jabbar as the greatest basketball player of all time. But I want to shout out and show some respect to greats like Will Chamberlain, Bill Russell. When you think about the 11 titles that Bill Russell was able to win with the Celtics, Will Chamberlain's insane career numbers for his career, 30 points, 23 rebounds, and over four assists. Those are his career averages. Led the league in rebounds 11 times. Played in eight NBA finals, won two championships. He's a finals MVP. He's a four-time league MVP. I want to give respect to those kind of great players whenever we talk about GOATs. Magic Johnson, my guy. Nine finals appearances in 12 seasons. Three finals MVPs. Four time or three-time regular season MVP is worthy of that type of conversation. But when I looked into my inbox and saw how many people hit me up, no shortage of opinions on the Jordan-LeBron debate. And I wanted to share some of your thoughts. So here's from Mr. Riley. The point about Michael Jordan having the benefit of nostalgia is true. Old players definitely have the benefit of people remembering their greatness. But also in his time, Michael Jordan made people who didn't watch basketball watch basketball. In my opinion, that kind of player that draws people, that's that type of showman, deserves to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest. Fair assessment. Keith Jones. Better, LeBron always wanted a superstar teammate. If he had no superstar teammates, he'd make no playoffs. What I would say to that is this. No great player. Nobody that won an NBA title. When we're talking about GOATs in that, in that iconic era. Or when we're talking, put it this way. When you're talking about Mount Rushmore players, when you talk about the top five players and what they did and what they accomplished, they all had talented players around them. Some of them had equals. So I'm not going to hate on LeBron that he had a Kyrie, he had a D. Wade, and now later in his career, fortunate enough to have a 26-year-old beast like A.D., Jonathan J says, the only thing I'll say about this is let's not sleep on LeBron's greatness. The man is in year number 17, putting up these type of numbers 
winning finals MVP and putting on a show. He might not be the GOAT right now, but when it's all said and done, he will be. Fair point. And I'm open to that one as well. Once his career has finished and we look at the numbers, and if he adds another title here and there, or maybe he adds two more, maybe he adds three more, maybe he adds one more. I think that's when you can t- truly judge them. It, it gets interesting year to year, but let's let his career play out and then reflect and take a look. I think LeBron James right now is one of the top three players to ever lace them up. And I've said this before. He's not done. So he does have a legit shot to catch. Not Michael Jordan. My guy at number one is Kareem. He's got to catch Jordan and then catch Kareem. That's who I have at number one. But I'm not one of those people that are are writing him off for his failures. All great players have had failures. Johnny B. Jordan did more with fewer seasons. Yes, Michael Jordan only played 13 full seasons. But I'm not going to fault LeBron the fact that he's gone to 10 finals in 17 seasons. It's not easy getting to the finals, let alone winning championships. I don't think it's a bad thing that the man played in 10 NBA finals. And he may very well play in a couple of more before it's all said and done. At the same time, you can make the case. I'm not going to penalize Michael Jordan either because he he went to six finals and won all six finals. I've heard too many people make the argument rings aren't everything. And then right after the Lakers won the championship, the first thing they said is he's got ring number four. That's got to make him the GOAT. I thought you just said rings aren't everything. In the bigger picture, when you look at truly great players, like I've said before, who you played with, who you played against, and what you did, not just when you won, but when you lost, how did you respond? Mike Mills says, I like how LeBron in an interview after winning the championship gave respect to MJ by saying he wears 23 because of MJ. After last night, it doesn't matter who you have in front. What matters is you know by the time LeBron is done, it won't be a conversation. He will still be competing for rings, accumulating points, setting records for the next five years. If you have Jordan in front, don't take LeBron's career for granted to protect MJ's legacy. I don't think you have to do that. I like the comment earlier. Um, And Calvin made a similar comment. Yes, Older players, people look at them and there's a nostalgic thing. But that's not the only reason why people have Michael Jordan where they have him. They have him number one. I don't. But if that were really true, then wouldn't Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain be one and two? Wouldn't we have more respect for Oscar Robertson and the type of career that he had? We've kind of leapfrogged some truly iconic players in this who's the greatest of all time conversation as if they were just very good players. Nobody brings up Julius Irving. If you look at the totality of Doc's career, 
combining what he did in the NBA along with what he did in the ABA, how come Doc doesn't get more consideration? Wasn't Doc an artist, a showman? Wasn't he doing things that Jordan did before Jordan did them? Look, to this day, when I was a kid, I remember Doc doing that move against the Lakers where he's out of bounds and he's cuffed the ball and he reverses it on the other side. That was insane. But I don't hear people talking about Doc with that kind of reverence. So I don't think the nostalgia, you can talk about nostalgia, but I don't think that argument really holds true because there are players who are more accomplished if you're just caught up in rings or in raw numbers like Will Chamberlain who don't get the same shine. Maybe with Jordan, it is that he was a showman. It is that he was a high flyer. It is that you can make the case that long before he won his first title, we knew at the time he was the best player in basketball. Look, I'll tell you this right now. Begrudgingly, I am a diehard Laker fan. Begrudgingly, at one point, I said, yeah, he's nice. I mean, he can score. He's a bad man, but he's not better than Magic. And then I realized he might be a little bit better than Magic. And that was tough to say. I think the only time, I've said this before, that I've rooted for Michael Jordan in in a playoff situation was against the Pistons and against the Utah Jazz in the finals. Other than that, I didn't root for him. I was a big fan of Big John Thompson, Georgetown, Patrick Ewing, Michael Jackson, and all those dudes on that squad. So I remember wearing a pair of Ewings when I was a kid. I rooted for Patrick Ewing to beat Michael Jordan. I'll keep it 100. That didn't happen, but it didn't stop me from rooting for him. And the only reason I rooted for him against the Pistons was because I was still angry that the Pistons had swept my Lakers. That was just me. I wasn't going to be rooting for Zeke. Zeke's a great player. The Pistons were a great team, but they beat my squad. So I didn't root. I didn't want the best for them. By default, Michael Jordan, the enemy of my enemy, Jordan was my friend for a little bit, but he wasn't my guy. These are some of the greatest players of all time. Wilt, Bill Russell, Oscar Robinson. Nobody talks about John Havlicek. Nobody brings up somebody like Jerry West, the logo. Those kind of people. I don't, I don't understand how they get lost in the shuffle. I know it's easy to get caught up in Jordan versus LeBron. And really, nine times out of ten, it's always the Jordan versus LeBron debate. But that's why I bring up Kareem, because he gets lost in the shuffle. And it's funny because when they make comparisons, they always want to show Kareem when he's 40, like he was always 40, and not show the young man at age 21, 22, dominating the league the guy that came into the league his rookie year and took his team to the conference finals the very next year he won it all and he won the league mvp that guy oldest finals mvp in league history that guy look the debate is fun and it could get tiresome but i think the main reason why it can drag on and be tired at times is because we seem to only include or want to include most people, at least, most people at least only want to include two guys. 
as if there weren't other iconic great players. So for me, let's show respect to the Wilts, to the Russells, to Elgin Baylor. Let me not sleep on Elgin Baylor and guys of that ilk, even though more, more, more times than not, most of us, we have locked in on these two guys, LeBron and MJ. And I want to keep throwing that hat in. I have no problem with those two being talked about. Do not sleep on Luau Sender, a.k.a. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. We can talk GOAT all the time. Just make sure you include the GOAT. That would be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And no straw man arguments. Let's get off of that real quick. Because I've often heard the, well, what wing players in the 80s or 90s could play in today's game? Here's an easy one. Mitch Richmond. Mitch, the rock, Richmond would be a beast in today's NBA with his skill set, the ability to put the ball on the floor, raise up from three. He had a mid-range. He had a post game, shot over 85% from the free throw line, got to the free throw line about six times a game. Mitch Richmond would put up numbers in this current NBA. So I don't like those kind of straw man arguments. Look, there are some players that can just play in any era. They're just ball players. Um, off the top of my head, Mark Price, point guard for the Cavs back in the late 80s, early 90s. Mark Price with his handle, his pull-up. I think Mark Price was one of the first dudes that attacked double teams. He used to split them. He was the first one that attacked double teams. He'd split them and just raise up. Mark Price had a handle. He was a jump shot. Uh, he had range. He was always one of the top assist guys in the league. Mark Price in this era, less physical, more spread out, conducive to scoring. He would do beyond well. In this era, Mark Price would put up insane numbers. I, I think Mark Price would be Steve Nash on steroids. I'm trying to think of a you know what? Glenn Rice. What about a guy like Glenn Rice? A 6'8 shooting not a shooting guard well he could play the two but he was a, he was a small forward Glenn Rice for his career 40% from three average over 20 points a game six times in his career Glenn Rice in this far less physical era with with the floor space the way it is the value that he would have with his size his post-up ability Glenn Rice was another guy that could just raise up over smaller two guards or small forwards. Glenn Rice would, I think his career would last actually that much longer playing in today's NBA. Now, everybody, their skill set and their game doesn't translate through every era. But Mark Price, Mitch Richmond, and Glenn Rice, they're tailor-made for the way the NBA is currently played. We can have fun doing this. We could talk about which players could play in different eras, and I'm I'm good with that. We can even argue it. I would say a guy like um, Mark Price's former teammate, Brad Doherty, super high skill set, could shoot from 15, 16 feet away, had a post-up game, great passer. I think his career numbers are like 19 and 10, close to four assists, just a really good basketball player. Five-time All-Star. He was his his career was cut short because of injuries. I think he had like a back problem. I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure. I think it was back problems. But a guy like Brad Doherty, when you look at some of the centers 
the lack of skill in today's NBA. So look, you got the Joker, and we know what Joker can do. And then you've got Embiid and Carl Anthony Towns. And AD doesn't want to be called a center, but AD's a four-five. AD's talented. But Brad Doherty wouldn't be lost in the current NBA at all. He 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 would more than hold his own against the current centers. He would do quite well. So I, I would make the argument when we can say guys from today's NBA could play in the 80s and 90s. I think a lot of them could and do well. But I think there are guys whose skill set translate to the current NBA and would have longer careers because of the better nutrition, the travel, the training. Yeah, I, I can see that. That case can be made both ways. We can have fun with this. Look, the Players Association in the league hopefully will work this out and things don't come to a grind. But all we have for sure is the draft is in November and it's on the 18th. Other than that, everything else is up in the air. So we can talk about potential free agents and shows to come. Or we can talk about other players whose game may translate to the current NBA. How about this? I'll put a name out there and you tell me if his game translate to the current NBA. Matter of fact, I'll put two guys out there since they were teammates. Latrell Sprewell and Allen Houston. How well would they do in the current NBA? Give me that answer. Hit me up. And I'll respond to what you guys say on the next show. It's been fun. Appreciate all the support. I'm going to try to do an episode every Monday. I had some family things to take care of, so definitely lost a week, but I'm back. It's the NBA Cypher. Appreciate you guys. Next time.